Welcome back to another episode of the Jewish Moves Podcast. This week's episode is with Rabbi Simcha Hachman. He's the Director of Tourism for the Hebron Fund, leads legendary tours primarily in Hebron and Yerushalayim, hosts thousands every year for Shabbos meals, teaches in yeshivas and seminaries, and does so much more. Rabbi Hachman, welcome to the show. How are you? Shalom Akiva. Great to be with you guys. And thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you uh, so much for agreeing to join. I think uh, most of the listeners know you as somebody who made Aliyah to Hebron and became an iconic tour guide to everybody who visits. But before we discuss your life in Israel, can you speak about what inspired you to make Aliyah? So there's so many different, you know, stations and junctions. But, you know, always, always, I think deep down in every Jewish heart and every Jewish soul, there's always a natural longing and yearning to Tzion, to Shalayim, to something above and beyond what's existing in the exile. And always already from a teenage, as much as I had exposure to a lot of holy places and yeshiva and shuls, always was this feeling that this is good for temporary, like the permanent home, the permanent place for a Jew is only in the land of Israel. And, you know, just anyone who really opens a Tanakh and reads, the first thing God told Abraham was Lech Lecha, is you have to take that trip, you have to take that journey to really find who you really are, to find your inner essence, to find out the deepest depths of who you are, Lech Lecha, it's only in Eretz Yisrael. Only in that land, which I will show you, the I could reveal to you the deepest depths. However, there were different parts of the world events that also brought us to Hebron specifically, which we'll talk about to later. Yes, I guess uh, the later could be now. I was going to ask, uh, why Why did you end up in Hebron? So on the one hand, like we said, there was I had the privilege also to spend three years post-high school. My 12th grade year and two years afterwards, learning here in Israel, both in Yeshiva Taratzion, BMT. I learned in the old city in a small yeshiva. And a lot of times you can have a light, but you don't have vessels for the light. And Yeshiva gave like this euphoric type of area to show as an ideal way that one day we're going to eventually make it here. At a certain point, after the Oslo Accords were signed in 1993-94, Israel was talking about land for peace, which really was land for terror. I sort of felt that sitting back and watching another terrorist attack, another victim of Arab terror, another funeral, another person wounded and maimed. We had to do something a little bit more, something a little bit more drastic to bring a strength to the Jewish people in Yudah and Shaman and Aza, known as Yesha, Yud Shin Ayin. And we decided that we really want to go to a place where every Jew makes a difference. A lot of people make Aliyah, and that's great for all types of where will I be most comfortable? Where will it fit in best for me? Where will I have my best social life, the best shul that I'm more familiar with, where I have friends from my college years or my yeshiva days or fit into my socioeconomic uh, background or guideline. But our whole thing was, where do they need Jews? And we chose between Gush Katif and Hebron. In those years, Gush Katif had two settlements that were slated to be dismantled. One was called Nitzarim, one was called Kvadaram. And then Hebron was also on the slating and this chopping board of the Israeli political left and wanted to give away Hebron to the Arabs. Somehow or other, we felt we have to come to one of those places where every Jew counts. 
Wow. And I guess uh, so you, you mentioned that you uh, came because it was such an intense time. How, how, how did you move in in terms of the knowledge with food and safety and education? Were those things that were on your mind or was more of a, we'll figure it out later? So it's interesting, you know, Rabbi Kahana used to say a Jewish fist needs a Jewish head. On the one hand, our agenda was, of course, to come to fight for Am Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael, for what's called Shleimut Eretz, the completeness of the land, the Gvulot of Eretz Yisrael, and to hold on and not to cave in to terror, to forfeit any part of God's holy land. On the other hand, I was married with two children, two little kids, and of course, there's a practical aspect. You can only, you can spiritually live an ideology that doesn't always pay the bills. So of course, there was also some practical methods. And some of the Hashem opened gates to us, both in the Gushkatif area, in Chebel Aza, and in the Kiret Abba, Chevron, Gushatzion area. Hashem opened up gates for both me and my wife when we came on a pilot trip before this. Each place we went offered us jobs. Even though there's so many dozens of super learned Israeli rabbis who went through the Hezda system and went through the standard Israeli yeshiva system, had degrees, etc. Some of that had a little bit something that a little bit of extra flavor from that tree of life that some of the schools were looking for. And both in Gush Katif was called the Talmud Torah Vatsmona and a yeshuv in Gush Etzion Bat Ayin were very interested that I should come and be part of the educational staff. My wife is an occupational therapist, has a more broader job where there's a lot of children. Of course, there's a need for OTs. And she was also offered both in the Gush Katif area and a place called the Veda Kalim. And in the Gush Atzion area and Kiraba was offered positions. So we knew we had a little bit, pat, pat some bread in the basket, some type of a financial direction in where we were going. But I don't think that would have, you know, one way or the other, that wasn't going to stop us from coming or not coming. It just made it a little bit more directed, a little bit more responsible to come with some type of job. Offer. Of course, you know, when you come to Israel, it's never like you planned. And there are waves and there's oceans and Hashem recreates you and you get a special neshama of Eretz Yisrael. And we had, of course, our initial challenges. But when you come with that mission, despite having obstacles at the beginning, and despite sometimes promises or things we thought were going to be, Set in, you know, set in stone and with the cut didn't always work out but, but Baruch Hashem we stayed with the dream we stayed with the ideology and we felt afterwards all the blessings that God promised Abraham and when God told Abraham Lech Lecha, for your benefit and for your good we felt all of that developing as we stayed with our belief and with our Muna. that's amazing wow and uh, I guess after you moved did you immediately become a tour guide so it wasn't immediately afterwards. At the beginning, I was teaching full-time, both in Efrat and Gushetzion. I had started in Ayin, but unfortunately, the school went through a lot of internal changes, and it was no longer recognized by Mr. Achinuch between the pilot trip shortly into the semester. But I only I was teaching in Efrat in a, a very special school called Barkai. It's a, it's a network of schools, but it's run by people from Kirat Abba, Hebron. And the idea was going through Tanakh systematically from 5 to 10. The Mishnah in Perkeleva at 5 to 10. In Chamesh the Mikra, in Esel the Mishnah, in Chamesh HaSalatamut. And already when I was in Israel and already also in America, I'd gone through Tanakh very numerous, many, many times with different commentaries. And 
a lot of reading of Mishnayot, sometimes even 18 chapters a day. And I had a certain fluency that a lot of American boys don't have in these 24 books. And sometimes the more make mitzvah mesechtot that are less studied. And I was able to teach in the school Ivrit Bevrit. As a little kid, I went to Yeshiva Flapash. That gave me a certain advantage. But later on, I went to a, a regular Brooklyn Yeshiva, but still I had it sort of ingrained in me. It's Ivrit Bevrit and a lot, a lot of Tanakh and a lot of Jewish history. And my father also was a historian, so we knew qu quite a lot of world history, Jewish history. And the tour guarding took place in the year 2001, when the Intifada was in its height. I could no longer travel to teach in Efrat. Israel HaChinuch, which is Israeli equivalent to Board of Education, could no longer responsibly provide Hasa'ot from Kiryat Arba Hebron to Efrat. Shootings on the road, Molotov cocktails on the road. It was really going in and out every day, left a certain uncertainty. And as a result, I came to a local Kiryat Arba school that they replaced, um, they replaced, they placed me in, but it wasn't the right, it wasn't the right fit. And I was always was helping the community of Hebron. And one of the greatest things here in Hebron is tourism. And there was a lady at the time named Judy Grossman, who was the executive director of the Hebron Fund. She kept on saying, you helped me in the summers, you helped me during Sukkot. Why, you know, all this traveling, come work for me and help us out here in Hebron. Start tourism up, not for Israelis, but for Americans. And we started on a very, very difficult journey at the beginning with all the intifada going on, but with people who dream, don't give up on the dreams, they fight for the dreams. And we Baruch Hashem fought for this dream of staying here in Eretz Yisrael, staying in Hebron. And the tourism started with maybe a van coming, sometimes my parents helping subsidize the cost of the vehicle so that people would come. And little by little, more and more people start to come and tell their friends. In the beginning, Chabad was very strong into coming and fighting for Shlema Taretz and the Rebbe's directive. There was a rabbi from Teaneck, New Jersey, uh, Rabbi Stephen Przansky, and a lot of people from his kilo would come. Rabbi Avi Weiss from Riverdale, but you're talking about Yechidim, very, very ind individuals had the guts to come. Most people said, we have you in mind by davening. Tell me where to send the check. Send me a link to the site. Um, but we're not exactly going to visit you in Hebron. Mm -hmm. We support the idea. We believe it's important for Jews to be there. But there was really these handful of individuals that prompted their keynote to come. There was missions um, from those neighborhoods that came to strengthen. A lot of Chabad missions also from all over and to come to strengthen the Jewish presence here. And today there's 800,000 people a year plus that come to visit Hebron. Wow, that's crazy. That's great. How did you How did you in the beginning get the information to share on the tours and how do you decide what not to say due to limited time on uh, each trip? So, you know, everything in life is called the Torah of Simpson, of constriction. And even when you teach, I have the privilege to have the greatest privilege to meet the greatest young people in the world. I teach in yeshiva called Reshet Yushalayim till today. 26 years plus now. I'm finishing my 26th year, I should say. Started in 1996, teaching there late afternoon, night seder, which happens after the tours are already over. And being a good teacher is not telling everything you know. It's always about chewing things down in a way that the student could understand and relate. So to the same thing as with tourism. Tourism is the greatest form of teaching. It's just not teaching in a classroom with four walls 
had an official book, but you're teaching while you're walking, you're learning. And bringing the Tanakh to life and bringing everything that a lot of children learn in elementary school and then later on in high school in Tanakh all come alive on the tours. So I don't, I see, I teach you all day. Just one is without walls. And one is a more formal education with a safe and a book and share time and a curriculum, etc. But it's always, always some mistakes that even the very, very knowledgeable people make. You don't have to share everything, you know. The great, the great wisdom of a good teacher and mentor and guide and inspirational person is knowing exactly what to share, what the group needs to hear, and a little bit to give it over in the right dosage. Smart. Nice. And uh, does it become repetitive and lose the inspiration after you've done it for so many years? There's always something uh, uh, refreshing and inspirational about it from a year end. So you have to know that anyone who's you know following orthodoxy, there's a lot of repetitiveness. I went to Shulesh Shabbos Hagadol, and I went to hear Pashat Sav, and I know about the Karban Ola and the Shiva Miluim, and I could rattle off exactly how many each Karban has special character traits, but part of the thing is God gave us the power. The first mitzvah we got was the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh, the mitzvah of not only sanctifying the moon, but the concept of hitchachot, of renewing. Hashem also gave me a blessing that I was born on Simchat Torah, which is the beginning cycle of the Torah, always starting again. So just like we pray every day, three times a day, it's the same Asherah, it's the same Aleinu, it's the same 19 blessings of, Sh- of Shemon Asherah, of Chalshrei, it's the same curriculum of Berchot Ashacha and Pesukei De Zimra, and Berchot Kriyat Shema, Lefaneh V'Lachareah, and I go to the world of Atzilut and Shemon and I'm taking the same trip every day. It's a spiritual path I take in davening. And then you start landing a little bit. And you have the Rida of the Shefa. And everything's coming down. So every day the same trip. But people go to work the same day for years at the same job. They travel the same road. It's not about what you do. It's the perception of feeling the newness, feeling the excitement. Every day I say, Modani, but I woke up yesterday. It's the same. It's the same exact thing. You went to sleep more or less the same hour. Waking up, the alarm clock goes off more or less the same hour. But a person could feel every day I'm reborn again. I'm renewed. And I'm getting a, a new neshama. I'm getting a newness. An opportunity to be able to share with new people, with new souls who never heard about Kabbalah, never heard about Ma'ar And each day, if you look at it that way, that it's an opportunity to share. with people. For you, it may not be new. But for somebody else, it's the first time. And so long, then there's a verse in the Psalms, that Bamach writes, La'amot kiechia, asaper ma'asaya. As to the world, don't let me ever, di- don't let me die, but let me tell you praise. Asaper also means I have a sipur, I have a story to tell. So, so long we have a story to tell, La'amot, we want to keep. And the story kiechia gives life. Every time you share something, you share a story and you inspire someone. You know, a lot of Rabbeim teach the same grade every year. A lot of Rabbeim teach different students each year. A lot of teachers, could you imagine teaching the same thing every day? But at a certain point, the more you teach it, the light also reflects back. And it becomes a deeper part of you. And you yourself, it becomes, if you really focus on what you're diving every day, each day becomes something different and new, different meaning, a different way of looking at it.
I hope you're enjoying the episode. This is just a quick ad to let you know that Jew Schmooze collaborated with the Fro Merch brand to release Jew Schmooze t-shirts in four different colors and a Jew Schmooze mug. You can check it out all online and deliver it directly to your house at frummerch.com. F-R-U-M-M-E-R-C-H.com. Make sure to check it out and uh, get some yourself. Wow, very nice. Shift a little bit, still stay in Hebron, but to, to Chayisara. I think uh, Chayisara is um, the, the most known Shabbos in uh, Hebron and something that uh, everybody hears about, whether they're coming for a year in Israel or they're at home and uh, just hear about it and see the pictures. How how does this this come to be in terms of who's running it? Is it people from Hebron? Who's preparing it? Who's arranging it? And, and how do you prepare for such a big event? There's a lot, a lot of work that goes behind the scene. From when that person, you know, the tourist comes or the yeshiva boy comes as seminary student or the guy from Russia who flew in or from France that flew in from England or from America is a good month and the last two weeks super intense preparation. Baruch Hashem, I have the privilege to work for the Jewish community of Hebron, the Hebron Fund and a lot, a lot of work in the infrastructure and renting out classrooms, providing areas for the tents, security, shuttle with buses, meetings with the army and different security concerns. Baruch Hashem, the last few years, Chabad of Hebron has made a tent. My neighbor and friend, Danny Kohn, we are, I'm not exaggerating, he can have anywhere from 30,500 people to 5,000 people having a Shabbos meal together. Wow. And there's a lot, a lot of technical stuff. Now remember, Hebron also has challenge of security. So you have to take in a lot of different things that it's not like any Shabbaton. There's a lot of other criterias parking, very narrow streets, buses being able to come both directions, in and out from Kiarab to Hebron, and having different hours of taking the people in, taking the people out, shoving people in that coming with private cars. And Baruch Hashem, it's a Shabbos that gives us no energy. You know, on the one hand, it's like a wedding. You got to prepare, but your whole life you're preparing to walk your son or daughter down to the chuppah. So, so too, we're always preparing, making vessels for our homes to expand, and to grow and to receive the light of the orech is orchet, the Shantav says, the light of the beyond. And to bring in light from people and allow them to come into feel at home and to connect them. And for many, many young people, you have to know that, of course, they kept Shabbat and a very halachic, but yet a little bit of an external level. But to experience the pneumiat of Shabbos, to experience the inside flavor, the taste of Shabbat, that happens for a lot of young people on Shabbat Chayisar. That's very nice. Uh, what, when did you start hosting your Shabbos meals uh, the rest of the year as well? I think I've heard that you could host uh, tens or dozens of people every single week. And uh, people, I, I know friends who have gone and enjoyed it a lot. When, when did you start hosting those and what are those like? So we we host, you know, from the beginning when we came, we're living in a neighborhood called Ava Mavino. We had the privilege to also, both me and my wife have been very close to Rav Shlomo Kalbach, to have learned by him, to travel with him, to spend many Shabbat on him with him. And when there's a place in your heart, there's a place for in your house also. And we really felt and we saw that for so many people, even in the most orthodox communities, as much as they were so strong in the halachic observance and very learned, but yet something what's called above and beyond, something a little bit beyond what they used to, a little taste of the infinite Shabbos, of the great day of Shabbat, of the Shabbat me'el olam haba, something they didn't experience until they came to Hebron. When you see it, 
you're turning young people on to a special Kabbalah davening Friday night, to a musical Avdala, to Divrei Torah and Zmirot, meeting people that are living with Amisal and Eretz Yisrael at the forefront of their consciousness and living on a real God conscious level to the best that we can, it really changes a lot of people's perception. And a lot of people from the Shabbat ended up making Aliyah. A lot of people ended up moving to different neighborhoods in Eretz Yisrael. But even whether they move or don't actually move, it deepens the roots, deepens the connection. And, you know, what's a good Shabbos? One is that you never want it to end. But two, it carries you all week. It carries you all week. And for a lot of young people, learning Gemara is not easy. It's not always the most natural, you know, drawable. And sometimes, you know, when you have a good, strong Shabbat, it gives you strength to go back to yeshiva, to seminary, with a whole new energy and new batteries, and to appreciate a little bit that light, the Torah Shabbat a lot of young people struggle with in high school. Unfortunately, now, as you know, we still host, of course, but it's not the same level. I don't want to, you know, post, pre, once Corona came, quite a few senior members. So we're very careful with, you know, keeping certain social standards. But Baruch Hashem, we got back into it and we still, there's not a Shabbat that we are at home and we don't host young people. It may not be in the same numbers as, we, you know, pre-Corona, but we're still always having the opportunity to host young people. That's great, and uh, you just touched upon your uh, your your family's connection to 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 the the whole Karlbach idea of uh, singing and and of Karlbach's inspiration. I think you yourself are a musmach, and you're uh, known to incorporate his music into your tours. Can you speak about what that was like in terms of uh, your connection with him and how you carry on the legacy? So uh, you know, there's something about of Shlomo. It's always beyond words. Anything I could say, I can't describe it. There's something very transitional. When you go into a Shlomo Kumz, it's a concert, a learning. It could be the same Sefer that you learned and looked at a dozen times, but he gave it over in a way that really opened up into a whole different level of a deep, deep inner connection to yourself, to your own consciousness, to spirituality, and really a oneness. The music brought you a tremendous oneness and a unification of all the worlds and all of Am Yisrael. There was something that, like I said, it's hard to describe how exactly it worked. It's an energy that was emanated. And we tried to the best that we can, far from the original source, to try so much to carry on that not a world of contradictions and a world of Rishitarabim, of everything, multiplications and duplicities, but really somehow that the source, everything was really one. And if you're really connected to that higher place of oneness, and somehow you could bring every type of Jew, non-Jew even, and bring a oneness in the world. And through the tours and through the Shabbos tables and the music and the Nagunim, it's not even a conscious thing than the tours. Like, here I'm going to sing. Here I'm going to... It's sort of something that just comes out from the spontaneously as you're telling the story, that your soul just wants to sing. You know, sometimes there's discussions on different days in the month of Iyar, yes, hello, no, hello. But sometimes it's not a halacha question. Yes, saying it with a bracha, without a bracha. Just how could you not? Your soul is just singing and wanting to praise Hashem for the gift of Eretz Yisrael, for the gift of Yishalayim, for the It's not a conscious thing that, that the grass says like this, and another tzaddik says like that, and it's something that just spontaneously happens. That you just really, Hashem Karetz, Shula Hashem 
but you just feel that need. Sometimes when people let their guard down, they're in a shower, they're in a place where they think no one's listening. All of a sudden they find themselves singing on top of the lungs. And in front of people, they're more self-conscious. So I took a little time to in front of people as if I'm uninhibited and just to be able to sing and to share and to not just teach from the tree of knowledge. There's enough people who know knowledge, but to also give all a little bit of taste of the tree of life. Well, that's, that's great. I guess we'll wrap up with uh, two more questions. One of them is, uh, I, I think in general, even, even through this episode, it's came out uh, to some extent that you're somebody who always helps people grow and realize there's more. I've heard you in the past uh, push people that Aliyah shouldn't be an end goal, but it should be a, a launching pad in a sort to something bigger. Can you, can you, I guess, give give chizuk to the, the listeners in the sense of always aspiring for more, whether it be living in Israel or out of it? You know, Shoma had a very strong teaching. Pasha Yitro is the parsha we got the Torah in. Yitro comes from the word Yotar. Always striving for more. Why would you have the such a high revelation, the highest revelation ever in history, and yet to connect it to Yitro, who was a idol worshiper, etc. The idea of Yitro is always to get ready for Mount Sinai to be a Mount Sinai Jew. Always the desire for more and more, never being satisfied. Now, even with Aliyah. The Aliyah is not the end. It's the beginning of something much more. It has to be now that you come to Eretz Yisrael. It's like never before. It's not just, you know, that now I made Aliyah and now already to always strive for more, to always want. It could be in learning. It could be in longing for the Gula. It could be in Chesed. But never to be satisfied where you are, but always be a Holech, Lech Lecha. Is also keep on moving, keep on moving, keep on going, and never, never, never stop. And this is always the thing that, you know, a lot of people, Baruch Hashem, the Kotel, what a miracle. But there's something on the other side of the Kotel. We have to long and yearn for more. We have to long for Harabai, for Kabam Pesach. For we have to long and try to really go back to the organic, organic Judaism, B'nai Beit Chal to rebuild Hashem's house, to go back to our first, to go back to our first house. Our people are happy just now, they, they're holy. But we want the holy of holies. And we always are looking for that more, to go back to the holy of holies. Well, very nice. Um, I, I guess we'll conclude with uh, the final question, which is the same for every single episode. And that's, uh, you know, through uh, this interview and other interviews you've done and on the countless tours you've done and as a Rebbe and Yeshiva, you're you're constantly hit with questions on, on, on all different uh uh, topics and and interests, but even though you're constantly being asked questions, there's always questions people are never asked that they wish they were. So reflecting on everything you have been asked, what's a question you've never been asked that you wished you were, and what answer would you give to it? Hmm. It's such a good question, and I have to think about it a little bit. But Baruch Hashem, you know, I hope I hope I make my students feel comfortable that they always can ask any question. And I hope the tourists also feel that they could always, always ask. But at the same time, I never like to tell people what to do. I always like to just shine a lot of light. And that light should help them guide them on their special, special path. But I hope, I hope people feel comfortable enough to always ask whatever it is. And I have to sleep on that question. It's so good, you know. But at the same time, I... Uh, very, very, very much have a tremendous admiration for all the people that come on the tour, especially all the young people I teach, to see the hunger, the thirst, the interest, and that connection that I get to turn people on to. 
Thank you so much, Akiva. I hope we made uh, shed some insight. And God willing, all our young people, I want to just leave you with one message that was very, very strong by Rav Shlomo. A lot of people wake up in the morning, but there are very few, but we have to be from those who bring the great morning. And the dream is not just to watch Jewish history, but we have to make Jewish history. A lot of people want to bring Mashiach. Everyone wants Mashiach to come, excuse me. But we have to be the ones, not just Sheva Tasa, sit back and wait. We have to be Kumbase, get up and do. We have to get up and really, really put our lives to everything, trying to bring that great day closer. Everyone in their way, everyone in their perception. We have to direct all our service of God, all our learning, all our kindness in that way. How could we hasten the great, great day? Very nice. Okay, thank you so much for join, uh, joining. I enjoyed a lot. Everybody, make sure to check out uh, Rabbi Hakam's tours and uh, everything else that uh, he's involved with. And thank you for uh, listening and joining. You're very welcome for the tours, hebronfund.org. And you can go on site, hebronfund.org slash tour to see full schedule. The grandparents are waiting for you guys to come to visit. They miss you. And even if you did it, Shanalif, Shanabet, or intercession, every year you got to come at least once to visit the grandparents. Thank you for listening to this past episode of the Jewish Moose Podcast. To get our latest updates and contact us, you can follow us on Twitter at Jews underscore schmooze. If you want to sponsor an upcoming episode, you can reach out to JewsSchmoozMarketing at gmail.com. And if you give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on, that will be tremendously appreciated. Thank you so much, and hope you're looking forward to the next episode also.